In this generation, there's so many crazy things going on in the world. What are some general principles and practical methods we can do to create godly families? Find out on this episode of Inverse. Coming to you from Silver Spring, Maryland, welcome to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation on life principles, contemporary issues, and thought-provoking perspectives. Now here's your host, Justin Kim, with Inverse. Welcome to Inverse. We are in the midst of the season of talking about families, this entire 13-week segment. And we've covered mothers and fathers and culture and uh, uh, that one episode and sexuality. I mean, you, got, you want to hear that one. It's a really good one. And uh, this uh, episode, we're talking about families of faith. So let's have a word of prayer. Siku, can you lead us in prayer? Yes. Loving Father, we'd like to thank you for the gift that we have in families, and we pray that the families we're a part of, whether they're biological families, extended families, um, spiritual families, that you could help us to come together to draw closer in our relationship with you. Bless our study of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 28 is a story about Cornelius. Let's skip down to verse 40, 34, and 35. And Jonathan, can you read that for us? Acts 10, 34, and 35? Yes, please. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Okay, so we live in, in, in a crazy time. There's, there's an international culture. There's different peoples out there. Mm-hmm. And as time gets nearer to the coming, second coming of Jesus, the world is getting crazier and crazier. And we have, there's a demarcating line between culture and where God, godliness should be at. And this is kind of, there's a tension in the church. And that tension is definitely felt in the family. Israel, what is the demarcating line? Up to what point do we allow culture to come in? Is culture good, bad? Is it all worldly? And what does Cornelius's uh, verse have to do anything yeah. with that? There's a lot to be said about culture, and I don't think that there's like a specific answer as to, you know, when does culture begin? Is there a heavenly culture? Is culture a result of sin? Mm-hmm. Did culture exist before sin? So I think when it comes to just the discussion of culture itself, uh, and and those elements, I think we can spend a whole episode just talking about defining culture. Yeah, that's what we're doing. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no, and uh, what in in Acts chapter ten verse thirty four, the line of demarcation is is found in that in verse thirty five. Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by mm-hmm. him. I don't know if this is culture. I don't know if this is heaven's culture, but there's it's talking about acceptance at least and it's talking about the the fact that God accepts accepts those who fear him and those who do the works of righteousness. Mm-hmm. So wherever there's the fear of God and righteousness, then that's acceptable to God. Whenever there isn't that fear of God or that or the work of unrighteousness, then no matter how awesome your culture is, that's not acceptable to God. Yeah, there's these extremes that don't we go to. One one extreme is like culture is irrelevant, is actually evil. It's a vestige of selfishness and sin, and it needs to be eliminated. And there's the other extreme where culture needs to be protected by religion, mm-hmm. protected in worship, and culture is to be venerated. Right. Where Where is that line, Jonathan? Okay. I'm going to give you the answer now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I can answer that fully, but for me, culture, in a way, um, it, there's two dynamics that happen here. You have one, uh, the expression of a human and the collective expression of many humans mm-hmm. uh, that 
that builds certain social understandings and, and culture. But then you also have the element that we are designed to kind of um, uh, learn and grow from each other. So you said in a, in a previous episode, you said, you know, the more I hang out with you, the more I will be like you. So you have those two dynamics coming together. And I don't think that those are, that there's morality on those two dynamics. The question is, what, what is God's role in those two dynamics? Is there, does he affect that? Because if he can affect that, if, if God can live through me, um, I can affect other people in a positive, righteous way. Mm-hmm. So I believe that culture itself, the dynamics of culture are not um, immoral. They're just part of what life is. Mm-hmm. But what flows into it is the question. Mm-hmm. And who do I behold mm-hmm. in the process? Siku. I, I guess, because um, we are talking about culture and yeah. I'm allowed to say <laughs> perspective. My, my understanding what culture is, culture is how a group of people behave. So the, the way that you eat is a cultural aspect. The way that you dress is a cultural aspect. Um, the way that you, the rituals that you observe are part of a culture. So culture is how a group of people come together and as a group of people, how they live out their lives. Mm-hmm. And I think in that sense, there are stipulations, guidelines, principles from the Bible for what our culture should look like when we are part of God's family. Um, so the way that we dress, the way that we eat, the way that... And so you'll find that sometimes uh, people from opposite parts of the world could find more similarity because they believe in the Bible, could find mm-hmm. more similarity between themselves mm-hmm. because they subscribe to principles from Scripture than they would find similarity to their cousin who they grew mm-hmm. up with mm-hmm. because the way they eat is Bible-based and the way their cousin eats is based on how their ancestors ate, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. So, so I do think that there is an element of a biblical culture mm-hmm. that maybe it doesn't dictate every aspect of our lives in the way that when you when you grow up in a certain country in a certain community you know there are norms to everything but there are principles that underlie the way that a heavenly culture you mm. know emerges it's interesting i think what i'm extrapolating is that when it comes to faith and culture that faith takes precedent and from this perspective, you can look at cultural analytically. We have an opportunity right. to criticize and evaluate culture. So some aspects about culture are really neutral, and mm-hmm. in some ways they make better, ameliorate the gospel message. Mm-hmm. Some aspects of culture are completely antithetical to the gospel and mm-hmm. need to be cut out. I mean, sometimes it's very difficult difficult to do. But let me ask you, and then very interesting, the three of you are from multicultural families. Uh, you you have married a Korean. I mean, wow, you know, that's, that's wow. I'm <laughs> wow. Korean. You have married Jamaican Chinese. Beijing uh, Chinese. Beijing Chinese, forgive me. Mm-hmm. And then and then you are, your spouse is American, Filipino, Filipino American. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and how, have, let me ask you, how in the midst of your cultural diversity <laughs> uh, have you anchored your faith, especially when you're creating uh, families and children, some of some of the struggles and some of the things that have guided you in that process. Yeah. You know, something that that we've actually found to be a blessing is the fact that we have the Bible to fall back on, mm. or rather to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I, we were discussing this on, uh, one day, a previous a couple of weeks ago, that actually because we come from different cultural backgrounds, it makes us critical of the way that we do things. Mm. So if, if there is a difference, it makes us pause and think, okay, 
Is this difference just because, you know, I grew up in Zimbabwe and you grew up in America? Is it because of your Filipino background? Like, where is this difference coming? And what, what does scripture being, bring to bear in terms of how we resolve this? So it's, it's actually helped us to be more critical of, of the backgrounds that we came from and try to establish habits, a lifestyle that is in line with what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's been a blessing. Can you give us an us. example of that? I mean, bring it out to real. Uh, think about that. I mean, I mean I'm curious about it, like, to see how that's played one, yeah. out. Israel. We come from two very different, vastly different uh, starting points, my wife and myself. Um, when we when we got married, the, so the challenge that you have in the differences is not just that you come from two different backgrounds in terms of nationalities. She's from a Korean background. I come from a Mexican background. I realized over time as I've grown up how Mexican I really am in terms of in terms of the stereotypical ideologies of, of, of Mexican families. Mm-hmm. And I also realized how Korean my wife is, even though she's lived in the United States her whole life, and the traditional stereotypical elements of, of the Korean culture. Mm-hmm. And so the, when two people are coming together, when families are being built, even if you marry within your same culture, within your same, I, sh- I should say, within your same nationality, every family establishes its own culture because you grow up differently. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very different from any other Mexican-American family mm-hmm. living in the United States because we have different values. And so the first thing that we had to do was recognize that, number one, we come from two different nationalistic cultures, and number two, that even though we were both, uh, you know, grown up here in the United States, from an American perspective, there's differences. Mm-hmm. And so what we had to do within our own family sphere was we had to intentionally make efforts to make our own family culture. And so we said, we come from two different families. We don't want mm-hmm. our children to lean one family over the other. And so we, you know, we, we are the Ramos family, but we also have the Nam component. My wife's last name is Nam. Uh, we instilled within our children, you're not half Korean, half Mexican, half American. How, how half. Do you, what are some ways that you did that? You, do you actually just sat, sat we told them, yes. you are not yeah. Korean? You I told them, I said, for, you know, I, we tell, I tell my kids, you're not half Mexican, half Korean. You're fully Mexican, you're fully Korean, you're fully American, you're all these different things. Mm-hmm. And the values that we're trying to instill in our children is not to, first of all, identify themselves in that way. That's a, it's a critical component of their identity, but that's not their primary identity. Mm-hmm. Their primary identity is always found in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's, in Scripture, there's culture, the Jewish culture. Yes. And every single Sabbath, you know, we're Seventh-day Adventists, every single Sabbath we get the horn and the, you know, the, the, our oldest boy blows the horn and that welcomes the Sabbath. And our youngest boy, yeah, we have the shofar. And mm-hmm. then, and then uh, now he plays the trumpet, you know, and, and our youngest, yeah, and then our, our youngest boy, you know, he reads the Bible. He reads a text from Psalms and he welcomes the Sabbath. Then our middle boy lights the candles that represent everyone in our family. You're Jewish. Yeah. So, so now we have this, you know, a lot of people think I'm Jewish, so I might as well, right? And so, yes. So, um, so we, you know, we create in that way, we create our own family culture. And I hope that when the kids grow up and they start their homes, they'll, they'll take elements of, of our culture, not identifying as this is my Mexican part or my Korean part, my American part, but this is my Ramos part. This is what I take from my family growing up. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Jonathan? Well, we don't have children, but we have a cat, and so we have told our cat that he, no, no. <laughs> You said meow, meow, meow. That's right. You saw laser pointer. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, you know, <laughs> um, I think in a way 
my generation, the millennial generation, we are very much, we see ourselves as citizens of the world, so we don't identify primarily with one or the other, even if I, you know, I might not, I'm Austrian, but, you know, I'm over here, and then I, you know, I also love Canada, my wife's from, you know, born and raised. <laughs> it's just like, I don't even know where I am. So at the end of the day, I'm a confused person. <laughs> right now you're in America. Right now I am. And so um, I think what it comes down to is what has been already said. Scripture is what faith and scripture needs to define my culture. Mm-hmm. And as the more I behold God, the more the, you know, the culture of this world is driven out mm-hmm. or I guess sanctified the parts that are okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can say it that way. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So scripture and the faith define our culture. My wife and I, we had to learn you know, to communicate. And uh, I think less than culture was more the element of um, learning how to how to uh, communicate with each other coming from such diverse backgrounds where communication is very different. So it was not so much the nationalistic, but more the, you know, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. those kind of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll be looking at the struggle between faith and culture in the context of families. When we come back, we're going to look at how are practical ways we can have faith trump uh, our family life, and especially as we transcend these values to the next generation and our children. Has Inverse been a blessing to you? Do you have questions, comments, or feedback you'd like to leave us? Find us on social media by searching Inverse Bible on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. While there, join us, like us, heart us, thumbs up us. Our handle again is Inverse Bible, no spaces. Now, back to the discussion. In the book of Acts, right in the beginning, you have this Tower of Babel reversal with the gift of tongues coming down and all these different languages being being understandable. And the gospel is open and this grand opening with all these, all these conversions that are happening. And then the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. But right in between, especially in the middle chapters of Acts, there are three testimonies that happen, three conversion stories. One, Philip goes to the Ethiopian. Second, Saul is converted. And third, Peter goes to Cornelius, the Italian. The question is, why are these three testimonies interjected between when the gospel goes from Judea to Samaria? Well, there's a connection between from Acts to the the book of Genesis. And right before the Tower of Babel, you have the sons of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And the whole world comes back to these three sons of Noah. And so what the gospel is saying in the the book of Acts is that whether you're a son of Ham, an Ethiopian, a son of Shem, uh, the story of of, of Saul, or whether you're, you're a Cornelius the Italian, a son of Japheth, it doesn't matter what nationality you are, the gospel triumphs to all peoples. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, boom, the gospel goes to the whole world. Mm-hmm. So this is very clear that the, gospel, the, the faith identity of our families comes first, and then culture comes second. Culture is not bad, mm-hmm. but must always be subjected to, to, mm-hmm. our, to our faith. So let me ask you, what are, what are some things, and we are, we're, as we were raising families, mm-hmm. what are some practical things we can do to make faith first in our families? Um, This goes with faith and culture. I think one of the things that engenders culture is um, sharing the history of, you know, your background. Hmm. You know, so you and your grandmother was whatever, you know, they lived in the village. And and those those kind of stories um, Mm -hmm. impart a a certain cultural identity, I guess, to (laughs) our children. And, you know, when we tell stories from the Bible and they become part of their identity, look, hey, God told Noah to build a boat. So Noah built a boat that would float. 
and then you know we tell those stories and and they become part of our children's identity mm-hmm. it it becomes part of who they are so that the faith the 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 faith of the bible and the stories of the bible i think telling stories and bringing stories into our children's lives makes them a part i guess of the so even though it's part faith. of the jewish culture you take the spiritual identity and you link it which is what the new testament is basically mm-hmm. saying we are mm-hmm. all children we're all jews right. the children of abraham and and connecting that history to mm-hmm. that's awesome that's awesome that's mm-hmm. awesome uh john well again i don't have kids so i can't really speak from experience but um well, what do you do with you and your wife and our cat yeah okay yeah <laughs> And your cat? Uh, well, I think I think one thing uh, that it comes that's very important to me is um, what I find in Philippians chapter three. Uh, if we can quickly go there, verse twenty. Philippians chapter three. Yeah. Verse, verse twenty. Twenty. It says here, "For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also uh, eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." So our citizenship is not with anything here on earth. Our true citizenship is in heaven. And so to have that attitude of I will lift up my head towards where I am going and where, I'm, where I belong, that is something that my wife and I, we, you know, we want to keep in mind all the time. We don't want any small nuances of culture or different opinions that are based in culture to define our actions and the way we interact. We want it to be coming from God. And I mean, one day when we have children, I want them to also see themselves as citizens of heaven, as pilgrims on this path. Right now we're here, but we are living for a better land. We are on this way to, to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Israel. We, when we, we actually take time to discuss our family values uh, on a periodic basis, and we sit down with our kids and we talk about what, what defines us as, what makes us a family unit. And in our family, there are three things that we really focus on. Number one is vacation time. We want to make sure that we're spending time together as a family. Mm-hmm. And so we value that time off from work where we disengage with our normal routine and we spend time together as a family. These family times are valuable for us because this is a time where we can share with our children what it means to use our free time in service for others or in experiencing nature or in building each other's relationships. We want people to understand the value of family. The other thing is that we have in terms of what defines us as a family unit is opting to go outside. Mm -hmm. We live in a society more and more where it's just we're inside, inside, inside on media Mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. And so we have our family value. One of our family values is to opt outside. Let's get out of nature. And this to us is very important because it is a nature that you experience God. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many beautiful places in this world, and and these places uh, give us a picture of God. Mm-hmm. You know, as we go outside, you look at the trees. The trees are different sizes, different shapes. They're not all lined up perfectly. It shows you a picture of who God is. Can you imagine if all the trees were the same size, mm-hmm. and then one is shorter than the other? It would drive you nuts, right? <laughs> and so this gives you a picture of, of God. And also, it tells you God is a God of freedom. He wants you to enjoy what he's given to you. So we try to go outside as much as possible. And the third most foundational of all of our principles is the principle of Scripture. And uh, our kids, we make it a point to have our kids memorize the Bible. They're memorizing our two oldest boys are memorizing the book of Luke. And so that's at the moment. And so that's one of the the key things that they do. And then every time, every morning, 
before we go to school. We take the time to open the Bible and let's read just one verse in Scripture and let's all try to break it down together. What does it mean? What is it saying to you? What is it trying to communicate Mm -hmm. to us at this time? And I'm hoping that these values produce a culture of of um, of scripture of study in their lives and so in previous episodes we talked about how God had called his people to be intentional not only to live out their faith but also to diligently teach it to their children and that's that's the component that we try to do in these three principles yeah I, I love that let's go to uh, Judges chapters 2 Judges chapter 2 you see this in the Old Testament where each generation has to be retaught these values mm-hmm. and it's repeated over and over again Go to Judges chapter 2, verse 7 through 13. And uh, Jonathan, can you read that for us? Yes. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnath Harris in the mountains of Ephraim in the north side of Mount Gash. Gosh, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. So mm-hmm. this, this work of, of family ministry is not something that's a kind of a lightweight ministry. You know, Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And raising our children in the faith is, is a matter of, is a life and death matter for the Christian movement. From, mm-hmm. it's, it's, sure. If you think about it, it's, yeah. it's, it's a miracle that we, we've been around for this, this much yeah. time. Mm-hmm. What are ways that, not just for only our children, but in our, in our churches, uh, in taking up and taking up youth ministry or young adult ministry or campus ministry mm-hmm. to get faith to the next generation. John? I think uh, a, a crucial point is to have the next generation be part of the experience with God. Yeah. So not to make that an exclusive thing where I have my experience with God in my devotional time and in my ministry, but have the children join you in what you do for God. Don't make it a, a separate thing. Don't split them up. You know, Have them yeah. together. Uh, and uh, I remember Israel and I, we went on a mission trip uh, a couple of years ago to the Amazon uh, jungle. And he brought his whole family. Now, that's a sacrifice financially, you know, to bring everyone down there. He goes, you have so many children. But it's a... <laughs> but, but, um, <clears throat> It, to, From the perspective to, of one who has one cat, that exactly. is a lot of children. I think, yes. I think but yes. I, I thought it was so beautiful to see, you know, the children involved in ministry with their parents mm. and experiencing God that way. Uh, there's nothing, you know, you can teach them the facts, you can teach them stories, and all those things have value, but nothing can comp- uh, compare with an experience with them. It's mm-hmm. not just facts, but it's, it's what they're experiencing mm-hmm. together. Ministry together. Yeah. Ministry together. One of the greatest tools for me in, in my, my job as a minister has been to try to minister to my children because it's easy for us to sit down and talk about these awesome theological truths. <laughs> but unless our children are able to grasp them, then they're useless mm-hmm. you know, sure. to us personally. When you look at Bible stories, the greatest heroes of faith were heroes of faith because they ministered to their family, like Abraham. We are children of Abraham. Mm. We are part of Abraham's family mm. because Abraham did a great job administering to his family. Mm-hmm. And so this is that was really his only task. His task was, hey, keep your family faithful to God, mm-hmm. and as a result of that, I'm going to give you an inheritance that cannot be numbered. And so 
This is the this is really the ultimate task that God gives us to instill in our children the principles and the values of Scripture. And I think we owe it to ourselves as parents and to the children that are lent to us to show them in the most practical and simple ways how Christianity ought to be lived out in their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, just speaking about the practical aspect, um, I remember I just read this article talking about how parents sometimes can get frazzled with all the stuff that we need mm. to do and then, then plus the children and et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it was a very simple suggestion, and the suggestion was bring the children into what you're doing. Yeah. You're doing laundry, bring the children into doing laundry. Mm-hmm. You know, you're cleaning the house, bring them into that experience as opposed to, you know, you guys go play and then I'm going to try and clean up and et cetera. And I think just practically speaking, like, cleanliness is it's a christian value mm-hmm. you know and and teaching that in our everyday lives so bringing making making the family unit part of it's just your your life experience and i'm i'm always inspired by the story of abraham that you know god called abraham to come out of his home country from his father's house and and god instilled in abraham a culture that he needed to pass on to his children and teach his children about, you know, the way that God called him and etc. But what really inspires me about the life of Abraham is you have these long periods of Abraham just living. Mm-hmm. Like he was just living. He was taking care of the sheep. He was, you know, and, and, and that's where faith happens. That's where your faith happens is in the everyday when there's no huge, there's no cameras on you, there's no huge uh, dramatic thing happening in your life. It's just in the everyday, quote, mundane stuff. Mm-hmm. That's where faith happens, and that's where faith is instilled in our families. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what Elijah teaches us, right? Elijah went and he lived out his faith. He was being chased. He went to the brook Kareth. He lived out his faith there. But then he had to go to, he had to ultimately go to the widow's house, mm-hmm. right? And to be really kind of like a father figure to mm-hmm. the son, and then experience that whole home drama because if you're not a Christian at home, you're not a Christian at all. That's, I think, the, the message that Elijah's teaching us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do we say to people who may have had a godly family, who have tried, who have done all the things that we talked about, and still uh, the values of faith were not transmitted to their mm-hmm. children? What are some thing, words of hope or some encouragement or counsel we can give to people who may be watching out there and say, look, I've, I've done all this and I'm a billion years old, but can you pray for my my, my one million year old son who <laughs> is not jiving uh, yeah. the way you are? I mean, uh, f- f- the first thing that I draw courage from as a parent is that you know God is a parent, yeah. and God has experienced hmm. not having all His children be faithful. Hmm. You know, and so the first encouragement for me is that Jesus understands, that God understands, and he understands the heart of a parent who is weeping for their child and praying that their child will come into right. the fold. And, I mean, if, if nothing else, we can't promise that, oh, they will come one right. day if you do this, that, or the other. If anything, we can know that God understands and he's there with you yeah. in that experience. You're not alone. Yeah. On that note, uh, you know, our Lord Jesus was a human being. He still is a human being upstairs in heaven. And he had a human mother, and he hears the prayers of a mother a little bit with more care than anyone else. So we ask, if you are parents out there, and pray for your children, and the Lord hears these prayers. We talked about how families are conduits of faith. And we would encourage you to consecrate your families, your children, your parents, your extended family, to be a family of faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. Hopefully that's yours. Thanks for joining us here in Inverse. You've been listening to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation with Callie Williams, Israel Ramos, Jonathan Walter, Sebastian Braxton, 
Siku Dako, and your host, Justin Kim. Inverse is brought to you by the Hope Channel, television that changes lives. For this and more inspiring episodes, visit inverse.hopetv.org. Find us on social media, hashtag Inverse Bible. Until next time, this is Inverse.